Glory Hole, a coming of womanhood story. Episode 1, Act 1, Little Willies. Hey, have you ever seen a willy? Um, just my dad's. Hmm, I think I have a little willy. Do you want to see it? When I was six years old, I was sent to stay with my grandparents in Alexandra for two weeks. I made friends with a local girl. One afternoon, we were playing in my nan's garden. She had an obsession with the body, both hers and mine. I remember us standing there with our dresses pulled up to our belly buttons. We poked at what we thought were our little willies, blushing and laughing hysterically. We were laughing from excitement and nervousness. We knew that if we got caught, we would be in a lot of trouble. Once a cowgirl. From age 11 to 13, I was a cowgirl. I wore Wrangler jeans and a Cobra and listened to Dolly Parton and the Dixie Chicks. I also used to kiss boys in the back of horse floats and sleep in a swag under the stars. I attended a few rodeos during this time, even considered a career as a rodeo clown. It was never going to work. I can't run and I bruise like a peach. I had forgotten all about my rodeo days until 2013. I was 25. At the Wasaic Project Summer Festival in New York, an artist by the name of Sophia Wallace invited people to polish their boots and belt buckles and strap themselves in for a ride like no other. Clitoracy. Sophia Wallace's Clit Rodeo was an interactive performance made in conjunction with her Clitoracy project. Clitoracy aims to educate people about the clitoris, to get people talking about the clit, in the hope of promoting female sexuality and pleasure. Did you know that the clit technically wasn't discovered until 1998 by an Australian urologist named Dr Helen O'Connell? She was the first person to investigate and document the full scope of the organ using MRI. Another fun fact, that same year, Google was founded. Just think how much pleasure Google has brought us since then. You know, I feel like I can't leave my house without seeing penis graffiti. At the train station, on the back of toilet cubicle doors, they're everywhere. Have you ever drawn a penis on something? Like the back of a book or maybe your friend's face when they pass out at a party? I want you to imagine drawing a clitoris. Where do you start? What shape is it exactly? Where is it on the body? I've done this exercise with a number of different audiences and the results are always the same. No one knows how to draw a clit. If you are like most and are struggling to picture a clitoris, don't worry, I was ill-clitorate until I was 25. For a lot of people, clitorisy comes much later, or not at all. 
Sophia Wallace's Clitoracy Project was a game changer. Her 100 Natural Laws installation is monumental in scope. In its presence, the viewer is made to feel small. Imagine an entire wall covered in facts about the clitoris. Facts like, the estimated size of the clitoris is 9 to 12 centimetres long and 6 centimetres wide. Or, there are 8,000 nerve endings in the tip of the clitoris alone. There is only one surgeon in the world that repairs the clitoris in women who have undergone genital mutilation. Four minutes, the average time it takes a woman to orgasm through masturbation. I couldn't believe that I was 25 and seeing some of this information for the first time. How did I know exactly how to draw a penis, and yet could not for the life of me even describe something that was a part of me? I was upset at my ignorance. I was angry at the gap in my education. Not getting it. You know how people call it the talk? The, like it's the only one you'll ever have? I don't think I ever had it. I assumed that the talk would be this crystallising moment where my mother would sit me down, bestow this holy information, and I would just get it. Sex, sexuality, what it means to be a woman. Here I am, a 29-year-old woman, still not getting it. I typed what is a woman into Google, and this is what came up. It's a noun, a human female. Synonyms include lady, girl, member of the fair, gentle sex, a female person associated with a particular place, activity or occupation. For example, one of his sophisticated London women. A peremptory form of address to a woman. For example, don't be daft, woman. So women are weak, stupid, and owned by men. Makes sense? <laughs> Thanks, Google. Gender for sale. I was raised to measure my sex against a man's. I am other, therefore I am woman. I did not choose my sex. I was, however, sold my gender. It came wrapped up in satin bows and sprinkled with glitter. Barbie, Barbie varies, varies, all pink all everything, pink, all pink lip everything, smackers, everything, the Spice Girls lip and Butterfly Clips. Everything. Lips For just butterfly. three easy three payments, payments of compromised of integrity, integrity, all this, all this could, could be yours. Buy now before the Buy other girls have it the other girl and we'll throw in this padded bra for free. That's right, free. That's right, free. He wanted a boy. Dad wanted a boy and was blessed with two daughters. There was a running joke in my family that I would turn into a boy when I was eight years old, something my dad told me just to wind me up. In my eighth year, I disposed of all of my fairy paraphernalia, insisted that I get my hair cut short and started playing football with the boys. In hindsight, my transition was less about wanting to change my gender and more about wanting acceptance from Dad. That same year, I had my first crush on a boy, Jack Peacock. He also played football. I liked him because he was quiet, had smooth tan skin, a modest smile, and was sensitive to others. 
He wasn't the most popular kid, which intrigued me. The more I started to like Jack, the worse I would play. In an attempt to appear softer and call attention to myself, I played the part of the inept girl. I had been conditioned to think that a girl needed to be weaker, soft or clumsy to appear attractive to boys. At my table. Aside from my brief gender intermission, I've always loved being a girl, something I owe to the long line of strong women in my family. There was a time when my family included men. Holidays and special occasions predating my parents' divorce, I would look around the dinner table and see my father, his father, my mother's father, uncles from both sides, and boy cousins. I have my father's eyes and stubbornness. My mother's father taught me to hop back on the horse after I fell off. My father's father made me value silence and showed me the power of knowledge. My father's brother gave me the travel bug and taught me to spin a yarn. My mother's brother taught me that pyramid schemes alienate you from everyone you know and love. My boy cousins showed me that I was different to them, that they would be dragged up, scabby knees and muddy-faced, held high on the shoulders of their fathers before them. My grandfathers are dead now. My father's brother is in Alaska somewhere. My mother's brother is still trying to climb that ladder. My boy cousins are scattered. Facebook tells me they don't respect women and they don't have spell check on their computers. On Father's Day, I sent my dad a text message saying, Happy Father's Day. Love lots. Kiss, kiss. He wrote back, Thanks, Brie. Spelt B-R-E. I spell it with two E's. Sitting at my table this year is my mother. Her mother and sister, my father's mother, my sister and my sister's daughter, Ruby. Four living generations of women. My mother gave me my voice, my open mind and heart. My mother's mother gave me my empathy and taught me to be well-mannered. My father's mother gave me my independence and told me to marry late and that there was no such thing as a stupid question. My mother's sister gave me my sense of humour and cheekbones. My sister gave me a looking glass through which I could see myself, everything I am and everything I am not. She gave me unconditional love. My sister's daughter has given me someone to be strong for. My glory box. I am very close with my paternal grandmother. She had always hoped for a daughter. I was her first grandchild. Finally, she had a little girl to spoil. When I visited my grandma in 2014, she gave me my glory box. A mahogany trunk that had been sitting in the hallway for years. I'd never noticed it before. She'd had it engraved. To Briannon, with my love, Grandma. 1994. Ernie Critcher made it, a friend of Jack's. I'm not sure if it's made out of cedar, I'm not sure, but it's made out of good wood. It's very old wood for when she gets married. She'd been hanging on to it for 10 years, 
so I thought when she opened it I'd be smacked in the face with a cartoon glow of gold treasure. We went through the contents together. A koala tea cosy, plastic dolls that used to belong to her mother, the blue corduroy suit she wore the day my father joined the army, and a book about Ricky Ponting? That's not for you. I'm saving it for one of the boys. Has feminism killed the glory box? I didn't really know what a glory box was, so naturally I did some research and found an article that gave me great insight into the history. I was halfway through the article before I realised it was on a website called ladiesagainstfeminism.com. Apparently in biblical days, the glory box came in the form of a dowry, commonly called the bride price because women were seen as an asset in those days, so to lose one to someone else's family warranted some compensation. Then somewhere around 1000 AD, women were a dime a dozen and men were like, yeah, I'm not paying for it. Instead, the bride would have to take a dowry with her when she left the family home. The tradition evolved into something special for women. Every time she learned a new skill from her mother or father, She would make herself a gift and put it in the box, saving it for her life as a wife and mother. Typically the box would contain linens, cooking utensils and clothes. I thought, that's cool, albeit a little limiting to what a woman can do and who they are. But I wish that I had a box with gifts that marked my growth and skill set that I could carry with me into womanhood. This rite of passage has certainly died out, you know, which the author of the article blames on women joining the workforce and not wanting to make things for themselves anymore now that they have money. Damn feminists. She says feminism sees the glory box and all it stands for as a threat to freedom. They consider the glory box a noose that will slowly strangle a girl's freedom and force her into marriage and child-rearing. Geez, lady, I had no idea that my belief in equality was so detrimental to the acquisition of a glory box. So in response to this article, I decided to revive the tradition of the glory box. I may have been the first feminist to ever do this. Glory Hole is recorded in Breeze Cupboard in Melbourne, Australia, Shouts to Millennial, and is produced by Laura Donnelly with music and sound production by Orcus. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Glory Hole Podcast. You can send us an email at gloryholepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, rate and review us on iTunes. 